C-Red Fred wants to get in, of course, has to do with the Bulls. Hey, C-Red Fred. Guys, it's awesome to talk to you. What a what a experience last night, uh, I'm sure, for you as well as for me and the family. Sylvie, i got to ask you, since you covered those teams, do you feel, and you knew Michael, you knew Phil, uh, you know, Jerry Krause, after watching that, do you feel that was actually, first of all, it was accurate and everything was portrayed in a fair way? And number two, like, which one of those guys did you have the most struggles or difficulties with? Kraus. I, I tweeted you about that yesterday. I have numerous stories I could tell you about Jerry. Can you share one for the audience? I, I told one on Friday where I was standing next to another another reporter. I believe his name is Dan Dorfman, and I believe Hawk just gave him a shout-out the other day. At the time, I think Dan was working for the Wall Street Journal. And we were in this hallway where there were curtains that separated us and the playing court and us and the, the locker room. So... The locker room was to our right. The playing court was to our left. We were stationed in this hallway. And Dan Dorfman was sticking his head around the curtain to see if the players were coming out, if we were missing any players. Kraus saw someone sticking their head out there and came running as fast as he could run, went through the curtain and looked at me, and it wasn't me. And he says, the next time you do that, I'm going to cut your effing head off. Whoa! You want to stick your head around the corner I'm going to effing cut it off. Did he have a sword or something? Like, what was he planning? And, to, how was he going to do it? I don't know. And Lacey Banks, who was a preacher, too, and I no, I didn't have much of a relationship with Lacey. I didn't know Lacey well. I knew Missy Isaacson well. I knew Kent McDill well. I knew Terry Armour well. I didn't know Lacey well. Uh, Terry Lacey, was the best, wasn't he? Terry, Terry was, was the best. Terry, no, but Terry Armour. All, all yeah. three of those people I mentioned, but... The late, great Terry Armour was such a talented writer, and he was very funny. Yeah. But Lacey stood up and demanded on the spot to Jerry Krause, Jerry, you owe them an apology. First of all, it wasn't him. Second of all, you don't come here and speak that way. Did and he apologize? I, yes, he did. All right. So I got one really quick story. I met Horace Grant uh, at the Bulls Outsiders taping that I was on. I sat with him for two hours, and he told me, and I heard this before, that Jerry Krause did not want to draft Horace. That was all Doug Collins. And Doug Collins went directly to Jerry Reinsdorf and said he's going to make a mistake. He's going to pick Joe Wolf. In fact, not only that, the North Carolina head coach, Dean Smith, said take Joe Wolf. And Jerry said, Reinsdorf went to Krause and apparently said, listen, you know, you took Brad Sellers last year. In 86, the Bulls took Brad Sellers when they had much better options, including Del Curry after that. They took, uh, and, you know, he said, so everybody on the t- you know, all the coaching staff wants – Horace Grant, I hope you reconsider. And, you know, to his credit, he did. But if, if, if Collins didn't get involved, we would have had Pippen, Jordan, and Joel Wolf for the first three instead of Yeah, Pippen, but he Jordan, did make the pick. It's just like the Draymond stuff that you don't like to say. You know, they wanted Jeff Teague. He still drafted Jeff Teague, Gar, and Pax. Yeah, but, but, but at least is, they Del still Collins made the pick. Involved, if Del Collins doesn't get involved, we're stuck with, we're stuck with Joel Wolf. Like, Jerry Krause... If you look at his long history, he had almost two decades of picks. He took two great, he had two great acquisitions, Pippen and Kukoc. After that, I could go up and down the list of average picks from State's King to Purdue to horrible picks like Jason Caffey over Michael Finley. Right. You know, right. I mean, like he two two decades of picks. You had two incredible picks, and that's your that's your resume. Come on, right, you know, Fred. he's the bad guy in this picture. I love you guys. Keep Thanks, up the Fred. great work. We appreciate Thank you, Fred. It.
Hello again, everybody. Welcome to a special edition of the Chicago Bullseye. I have the Knights of the Round Ball table here, and we're going to discuss the cinematic classic that we just witnessed earlier this week, The Last Dance about the beloved Bulls in 1997-98 season. And we have three esteemed guests. We have John Watson. John, are you here? I am here. Yes. Paul Paul Connor. Paul, can you hear me? I am here. Yes, and James Kim. James, how are you doing, bud? I am here as well. I'm doing great. Awesome. Appreciate you for having us. Yes. Well, thanks again for jumping on. I can't I can't tell you how excited I am to have I purposely chose you three because you're of three different generations. Uh, John's a little bit older than me. Paul's about my age, and, and James are a little bit younger. So you probably don't even remember uh, the, the beloved Bull in this season. So I wanted three different perspectives for this roundtable, and I'm really excited to have all you guys on. So thanks a lot for jumping on. It's a so, pleasure. Thanks for having us. The first one, I'm going to go to John. Uh, J- John, let's start out with – I'd just like to get your initial impressions to start out with uh, of the show, of the of – the, uh, you know, what was, let's start out with this. What was your biggest surprise after watching episodes one and two? What was something you did not expect? I, I didn't expect to see anything that would make me more frustrated with Bill, with Bull's management from those times. But in the very beginning of the first episode, and you heard the quote, uh, if they went 82 and 0, you know, that Phil wasn't coming back. I, I spent the first 20 minutes of that documentary really upset. Uh, because I, I just, I, I mean, you, you know, I, I lived through it. I remember it, but I had never heard that quote before. And it just incensed me. And actually, as I'm talking about it, I'm getting upset about it all over again. And the reasons why, because the GOAT tied himself to Phil Jackson and the temerity of Jerry Krause to, to make that statement, you're really basically saying, I don't need you and I don't need the greatest player of all time. Well, besides that, Jerry, uh, Jerry Reinsdorf had just gone and flown to Montana you know, and, and, and cut a one-year deal with Phil Jackson. So if you could do that, why stop? Right. You know, why, why, you know, why do you allow, why do you allow uh, Phil to leave? I, I just didn't get it. Now, I, again, it just, I am still upset about it as I'm talking about it. I just cannot believe it. And I can totally concur with your sentiments. Paul, what about you? What was your biggest surprise from episodes one and two? You know what the funny thing is? That I'm just going to piggyback on what on what John said. I mean, the, the, the fact that Jerry Krause had the, the balls to, to go up to Phil Jackson and say, no matter what you do, you, you're, not, you're not coming back. And, and the fact that, you know, this was Jerry Reinsdorf's cash cow. The Bulls were his cash cow back in the 90s. The fact that Jerry Reinsdorf did nothing to stop that. You know, I, I'm I'm like John. I'm like I, I spent the, the majority of that just thinking. I'm like, really? I mean, you had the greatest player of all time, one of the top two coaches of all time, and, and you couldn't step in and stop your general manager from making a fool of himself uh, for for breaking up, you know, a dynasty that you. I, I like. I know Jerry Ryan's are like to let his basketball people do his basketball stuff, but this is one where it affects your bottom line, it affects your money, and. Jerry Reinsdorf, I think, is a, a smart businessman, but the fact that he didn't necessarily step in when it needed to be done, especially you know during that time, that that was shocking. That that was surprising. James, what about you? From someone who do, do you remember? First of all, before you answer the question, do you remember any of the title years, or what are your earliest memories as a Bulls as a Bulls fan? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, I, I didn't appreciate it as much as I did. Um, what of if I was at 
the age that I am now and witnessing the uh, title bowls with my MJ and everything. But just because growing up in Chicago, you obviously kind of get into these into that kind of bandwagon automatically because of the, of the, the notorious, you know, just the 96 bowls and just different things like that. And my thoughts are just right aligned with John and um, Paul here. It's just it's consistent with Jane Ryan's story. I mean, if you look at the guard packs situation, the loyalty around bad management decisions has been consistent with Jerry Ryan's story. If you really look at it from an outside perspective and you know, what just kind of surprised me more than anything else is him kind of almost lying to the public saying he advised Pippen not to take that contract that he signed in 91. It's hard for me to believe that he actually advised to do that because I just don't see Pippen actually signing it if the owner is telling you not to sign it. It's a bad contract for the players. So, again, I think it's just consistent with what his ownership has been. He's been kind of loyal to bad management and kind of being too holding on to too, um, just listening to bad decisions. So, I think it just right, lines to who he is as an owner. So I'm mixed on Reinsdorf because, you know, the news came out with Tim Floyd that Krauss – actually wanted to break it up after 72-win team, which is just insane in retrospect <laughs> that someone would have the gall to do that. He wanted to do it again after five. It's just appalling. And, you know, at least he stepped in in those two occasions. But I hate to admit this, but I really feel, and I'd like to real quick get your opinion on it. You know, to me, in order to, choosing to be loyal to Michael or being choosing to be loyal to Kraus, it was far cheaper to be loyal to Kraus. If you look at the end of 98, Jordan was going to cost another 30-plus million if he wanted to play. You're going to have to sign Scottie Pippen to a long-term expensive agreement. And then Phil Jackson was going to cost a lot. You know, So that's a lot of money. And you knew you were going to have the goodwill of the, the, the fans for several years after winning six in a row. What do you think of that assertion or that idea? Do you agree with that or do you not? Let's start out with you, John. Although I, I certainly understand that uh... – you know, the owners are in, I mean, they're, they're, it's not a volunteer business, right? You, you have to make profits. But, I mean, you had arguably, I mean, there was no sports franchise at that time that was bigger than the Chicago Bulls. Yeah. And, and largely because of Michael Jordan. But it was a worldwide phenomenon. I mean, you saw the clips of when they were in Paris and, and all that. And, and I mean, I mean, he was the most recognizable person in the world. I mean, even afterwards, when the Bulls went to the playoffs with Derrick Rose and, and he was interviewed and they were asking him about the adulation from all over the country. And Derrick Rose was very frank and said, hey, you know, they're not cheering for us. You know, they're cheering, cheering for Jordan and Pippen and that group. You know, that's who built that fa- that following. Yeah. And so I understand the, the profit motive there. Uh, I just don't think you you just don't do that after you win three championships in a row. I mean, you just don't. Agree. Okay. Had ramifications for years to come. Affected the 2000 free agency period. What say you, Paul? Yeah, it, I'm, I'm I'm kind of mixed between that because you know I, I get the point that you know you definitely want to make sure that you bring back everybody and the cost would have been absurd. I think Jordan's you know would have been 30 36 million. Uh, Phil would have cost, uh, you know, even though that there's a different pool of money for coaches, maybe, you know, 10 million, Scotty's extension, and who knows how much Dennis was going to cost. And then Steve Kerr was up after that year, so you had to find three-point shooters. So I, I, I get, get the whole aspect of that, but you have to let that team finish it out. I do think that there's another, another level of this that I, I think as fans we all miss is, I think there's two things. Number one, you, 
that was the season also had the lockout in 98, 99. Mm-hmm. And, and also, if I'm not mistaken, there was no guarantee that Jordan was going to be ready for the season anyway because he slid his finger with a, a, a cigar cut yeah. or a tendon. But if you still have to let that group play out. Let, let them lose. If they lose, all right, then, then, then blow it up. But, you know, I, I just think that there's a blame to go, go around, and especially with management. Well, you know, one other quick thing, too. That's a great point. Uh, one other quick thing here is that, you know, Michael had didn't have the greatest of contracts either. I mean, he had just gotten the $30 million contract. Right. Uh, right. You know, that last year, you know, before he had a contract very similar to Scotty's, except he knew he would make, you know, just he knew he could make a lot of money in endorsements and off the court. Correct. So it didn't bother him as much. Whereas Scotty, you know, coming out of poverty and he's taking care of his whole family is a different situation. But my point here is that the Bulls, the Bulls enjoyed the discount already. <laughs> they had already won three championships. Right. And would have won five championships had my, had Michael not retired. <laughs> so right. you know, so so you know, now they want to you know. So you've made the profits already. You've gotten the windfall. You know, now it's time to gear up so that you could get a second windfall. And they didn't do that. I think and Michael what? made three point eight million in the year they won seventy two. Then he made you know thirty and thirty six in the following two years. But regardless, you're still you still made. I'm certain you made money. And not only that, the future value of the organization, the reason that it sold out and we were top 10 in attendance for the last decade, uh, or excuse yeah. me, uh, one or two in attendance for the last decade had nothing to do with, I mean, a lot of it had to do with Derrick Rose, but it's still primarily due to the to the foundation that's, that Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen established in all those years. So exactly. it's a they shame. Were still, they were still selling out games during the 10th floor era. <laughs> so exactly. <laughs> and they were making plenty then. James, what do you yeah. do? You agree? Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely, uh, it's an interesting topic, right? Because if you come into today's today's era, it's the, all about the player empowerment, right? It's uh, it's hard to believe in in nineteen nineties, especially in the late nineties, the greatest player of all time has no leverage um, to say, "Hey, if you keep yeah. Phil Jackson and Scottie Pippen, I'll I'll stay here as long as you want." And um, in today's world, that just wouldn't happen. Just the player empowerment. I think there is that assessment where why the player empowerment happened is the players realized how much the owners were making and how much the players were making. And it's hard for me to believe that Jerry Reinsler would have taken a huge, huge dis, um, financial loss by keeping those three, especially when the cash cow that they are, especially Jordan, you know? So I, I, I kind of agree in a sense of where his head was at, but at the end of the day, I think there was, it was definitely not a, great decision or smart decision by any means you you have a winning team you have three championships how are you breaking this up like how what john and paul said it just makes absolutely no sense um mm-hmm. so yeah i mean definitely think if this to happen today jordan would have all the players he wants because it's a player empowerment yeah exactly it wouldn't happen today can you imagine lebron <laughs> james tell you know getting into a spat with the gm and saying you know what if you don't if you're gonna fire this guy i'm out that wouldn't happen you know, like the owner would be smart enough to make the right decision. John, I wanted to start out with uh, the next topic, which is what do you want to see in future episodes? I mean, you lived through that era. There were a lot of things already I, I have in mind that I want to see. You know, the first episode was primarily focused on Jordan's past and history to a little bit more on Pippen. I love the format where, you know, they're going through the season, but they are doing flashbacks to careers. What do you yeah. think, what would you like to see in episodes three and four or for the rest of the series? 
Well, one of the things I'd like to see is already uh, about to happen in episode four, which is the whole story on the Pistons, uh, because I I believe that first of all, I never hated a basketball team more than I hated the, the Detroit Pistons at that so, time, so I mean, like ever. Um, so and and I believe that they are the primary reasons that the Bulls were as dominant as they were back then, because they 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 made them dominant. They beat them up, and, and I'm looking forward to that story, but. I'm actually looking forward to seeing some uh, some old clips of uh, the sports writers. Uh, I used to watch those guys. I listened, you know, before they came on television, they were on the radio. And uh, Bill Jouse, yeah, I used yeah, to watch Bill that Jowes, too. I used to watch Bill Gleason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that show. Those Rick guys Taylor. were hilarious. Rick they were hilarious. Yeah, and and I and they were very frank. They were very honest. It was no, you know, they didn't care what anybody thought about what they were saying. And I'm interested to hear some clips, to see them play clips of those guys sitting in the smoke-filled room, smoking cigars, <laughs> letting the young guy Tellender, you know, kind of come along and worship at the altar and tell the truth about what was going on with the Chicago Bulls at the time. Uh, really, I was I was looking for that in the first episode, quite frankly, but I can't believe that that's not going to come up at some point. Oh, I hope so. I hope you're right, because I love that show. I used to watch that. I think it was on Sunday night, I think, on Fox yep. or so. I used to watch, I remember I, those uh, appointment viewing for me. Uh, how about you, Paul? What what are you looking forward to seeing? You know, actually going back to what uh, Jane said, uh, you know, I, I remember watching Bullseye with Dan Roy and him having Terry Armour on and seeing all <laughs> these articles, you know, with Terry Armour. And I'm like, man, that that's, 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 that's nice. That's nice, you know. Yeah. But as far as what I want to see, you know, I, I, when you said that question, that the, the first thing that popped in mind, honestly, I want to I want to see more of a dynamic between Pippen, Jordan, Kukoc, Jackson. Yeah. For the, for, the, for the simple fact that Tony Kukoc was Jerry Krause's chosen one. He got paid the money. He was a highly touted European player. He was part of the reason why Scotty was pissed off about not going in for 1.8 because during that time when Jordan left, Scotty was the best player, but Tony was the most clutch. Mm-hmm. So, so there, so there was a lot of resentment I felt between Pippen and Kukoc that got masked because they were winning. I want to see more of that dynamic. I, I, I would like for them to go more into that that story between between those three players and that coach, especially with Phil always right with Kukoc, um, and and. You know, making sure Tony would knew where to go. That, that's one of the stories that I want to see play out in, in, in this in this documentary. I'm on board with that. What say you, James? Yeah, um, I think Jordan, when this documentary was coming out, he was saying, you know, this documentary is going to put me in a bad light. You know, a lot of people are going to kind of um, have negative opinions about me. So, um, again, just not coming, growing up exactly in the Jordan era and being able to experience it when I fully understood the game. Um it's, it's going to be interesting because obviously Jordan's always highly touted. He's always like praised as the GOAT, the greatest of all time, and kind of want to see that where he's, you know, looked in a very negative light and have a, the public having bad opinions about it. So it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, to echo what you, know, you were saying, Paul, and also what you said, John, I, I, first of all, there's nothing I could see from Michael Jordan that's not going to love me any less. And I, I heard everything yeah. – I heard, I heard, I heard all the rumors. Oh, nobody's gonna like me. I, I loved him even more after the first twenty minutes. I mean, the guy's the greatest, the most influential, 
uh, person in athlete in Chicago history. I'd say almost I could think you can make an argument in U, argument in U.S. history right up there with Muhammad Ali, and he he's brought so much joy to my life. There's nothing I could see in the next episodes that'll make me feel any worse about him. The That's Tony, what I'm curious to see. Yeah, yeah the, definitely. The Tony Kukoc dynamic though is interesting to me because I love Tony. There's no doubt the Bulls do not win number six without Tony Kukoc. In Game okay. Seven against the the Pacers, he was massive in that third quarter. He was huge, and he was a big reason we won that game. And you know, Scotty missed the first thirty eight games when he returned on January tenth, nineteen ninety eight. We had won twelve of fourteen games, including a nine game winning streak. A large part in part that finally somebody had stepped up to help Michael. So that team was very competitive. Uh, I love the guy, and I, I think you know, reading the stuff about Tony. It seems like he really put something in perspective that I thought was interesting kind of counterpoint, which is, you know, I, I always looked at this as a tragedy. They didn't have a chance for number seven. But Tony, in a recent article with Casey Johnson, said, you know, I really think you should look at this as still something great and look back with fond memories. And, you know, he kind of, I thought, made some good points in that article. And I encourage everyone to go and, and, and read it because there is, there is truth to that, that we shouldn't look back on that time uh, with sadness, because I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. You talk about not shedding a tear for 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 the era. I, I mean, I was trying to explain to uh, someone the other day um, from out of town how it felt that when your favorite team, each year that they won the championship, you would have absolutely no doubt from the start of training camp that the team would win the championship. Yeah, I mean, like no doubt at all. I mean, you start talking trash in training camp that's how confident you were about those bulls and and it, it, it's hard to describe that to somebody I, i'm sure the patriots probably you know have felt like that in recent years and certainly the celtics back in the day but you know in our lifetime in chicago we've never seen anything like that that's right. absolutely true and in the second that notion some people brought up the 85 bears which i loved i'm sure mm. you love too john but indeed that was the first time they did it. The first time they won, and the only time. You look yeah. back at that period, and I often feel like sadness and sorrow. Buddy Ryan left the, that year, and they were never yeah. the same. They, they they never really took an extended run. I think they got to one NFC uh, NFC final that they got blown yeah. out in championship game. Yeah. yeah, by the 49ers. But to me, I look back with that team in disappointment. But you're right. The Bulls were the only team in, in my lifetime in Chicago – where you knew we had the best player and nobody was even close. Yep. You know, I just felt like going the, – the level of confidence, it's – he totally smashed that whole Chicago is a loser city, you know, within the first several years of the 90s, and it was great, yep. and I can't say enough yep. about it. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, you know, the fact that, like, even after they won the championships, you know, you, the fact that you, you're walking around the city of Chicago with your full championship merchandise, you know, it's, it's just wearing it proud and – um, you know, that, that's one of the things I remember, you know, I, I just remember, you know, back in when they won it in 96, the 96, 97 season that, you know, I celebrated so hard that I almost forgot how to take the ACT the next day. <laughs> 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 and, then, and then, you know, when they won their final title in 97, 98, I, I was graduating from high school that, that next day. So I, I I always associate, you know, good times when, when it comes to, you know, those Bulls championships. So, yeah, it, at times it does bother me when, you know, you see you, see, you go in there, you see those six banners and you see that what they could have had more or, you know, it or how they broke up. 
you know, because it, 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 it could have been, you know, I know the super fans used to say minimum 8P. They, they're right. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Assume that Michael would have played. Assume that Horace would have stayed. Yeah, I mean, all up yeah. in the end, it's a virtual eight peat, my friend. <laughs> Growing up on those, uh, cha- I grew up on the championship tapes. Everything like those. Um, I don't know if you guys had those as well, but like, my dad collected all of those championship tapes. You know, those merch with the hats, the the, the, the shirt, VCRs. And the tapes. Yeah, for the VCRs. Yeah, the VCRs. Yep, exactly. Um, when I was like ten or eleven, when I started kind of understanding a little bit more, like to the early two thousands, I would watch those tapes probably three, four times. Yeah, I do want to say, and John, you touched on something I do want to mention. You know, let's go back in time really quick. The Bulls beat the Suns. Uh, And, you know, that summer they had Tony Kukoc, Steve Kerr, Bill Wennington, and Luke Longley. And then Michael retires. Yet that team, led by Scotty, took the Knicks to seven games. Should have really gone beyond if there wasn't a horrible call by Hugh Hollins. Hugh Hollins. Agreed. And then the Knicks... The Knicks go to the championship and take Houston to seven games. So I laugh at these people who argue that the Bulls. If are you trying to tell me if they had the goat, they wouldn't have been able to beat the the Houston Rockets, who, who went seven games with the Knicks, who almost were beaten by the Bulls. Sands the goat. I mean, come on, what kind of argument is that? And you touched on it. If Jordan's there, I don't believe Horace leaves. I I don't believe they'd allow him to leave. You know or. At least yep. there'd be another option better than what they had in ninety four, ninety five. So, uh, well, I'll say this though, Fred. Uh, the the one the one thing that I think would have made that series a little bit different with Houston, I'm talking about. I yeah. mean, obviously you had you know Kim Olajuwon and you know uh, uh, and Cartwright was still there, so you know Olajuwon would have would have at least had a little bit of trouble. But the Houston Rockets had the one player in the NBA that was not scared of Michael Jordan, and that was Vernon Maxwell. Yeah, he, he was nuts, and he was not afraid of Michael Jordan. And that right there may have made it a, a, an extremely competitive series, in, in my opinion. I'm not saying that Houston would have won, but I am saying that it would have been a lot more competitive because he he was not he didn't fear Jordan at all. No doubt, would have gone six games in favor of the beloved. Agreed, but yeah, yeah I, I, I like that. It would have been a tough series. <laughs> I, you know, a lot depends on if Horace leaves in 94-95, then it's a whole different story. But let's go on to the final topic of the show. Better or worse? Who did you feel better or worse about after watching this documentary? The two, Give me one you feel a lot better about and one you feel a lot worse about. Let's start out with you, John. Reinsdorf. I feel worse about Reinsdorf uh, because at the end of the day, he's the boss. And the same way he figured out the workaround to get Phil to come back that last year, I, I believe he could have figured some other things out too that may have helped the situation. Because what he has done has been has had long term effect. I mean, none of these guys are hardly even associated with the team anymore. Yeah. Um, and and that, that shouldn't be with with a, with with the dynasty like like that and with that phenomenon, uh, the phenomena. Excuse me. I, uh, phenomena that that took place at the time. So I and I honestly I had a lot of respect for Reinsdorf. I appreciate the six titles. I appreciate the World Series championship for my White Sox that I never thought I'd live to see. But after watching that and seeing how he essentially picked Krause, I mean, how hard is it to recruit somebody to play with Michael Jordan? Exactly. Uh, you know, so I, I I felt much worse about Reinsdorf. Uh, I, I still have respect for him, but I, I just felt a lot. I, I, I felt a lot worse about. Him. Who would I feel better about? I can't say I felt better about anyone because I, I didn't see anything that made me, you know, kind of change my opinion. I, I will say this. If you can actually believe it, listening to Michael 
talk about those things and talk about his mindset. Uh, like today, everybody that you saw on sports television uh, today, the last few days, disagree, including his former teammates, disagree with Michael in terms of Scottie Pippen and whether or not he was being selfish with the con with the uh, contract situation. And Michael was like, no, nah, I felt like he was being selfish. But Michael is a win-at-all-cost guy. Yeah. And just to hear that come across in those kinds of examples, honestly, I, I guess I like Michael even more. Uh, you know, you knew he was a killer, but I mean, he boy, that that was really something the way he was able to articulate all of those things. Paul, what say you? You know, as far as who I feel better about, I mean, obviously, I mean, I, I feel better about 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 Michael. Um, when I was thinking about this question, the first thing that popped in my mind was was the quote unquote load management that goes or tanking that goes on with with the league right now, and how you know when Jordan came back from his foot injury, they only wanted to play him you know seven minutes a half. And then he's begging his coach to go back in there. And then the coach is like, yeah, if I, they put me on, I'm fired. You know, just imagine Jordan this day with some of these, you know, trainers and coaches, you know, uh, saying, hey, we want you to play this amount of minutes because we're trying to get a, a draft pick or we're trying to save you for, from yourself. You know, Jordan wasn't like that. And, and that's one of the things that that, that that made me feel really good when, when, it, came, when it comes to the argument about of who's the greatest player of all time and, and whether it's basketball or any sport. Um, as far as, as who I feel worse about, I'm agree with James. I feel, I feel worse about Reinsdorf. This is your cash cow. And, and you, you, you chose, you know, loyalty, which I understand that's fine over the fact that the guy brought you tons of money and joy. So I, I feel I'm, I'm, Feel, I feel bad for Reinsdorf. I, I, I don't – I just think he made a bad business decision. Uh, James, what say you? Yeah, um, I think the, the good, the better, I think, is right, right along with Paul and John here, just Michael Jordan, you know, just having that competitive edge and just that mentality. You know, he truly colorated in today's world the mama mentality, right? Kobe definitely replicated his mentality, his, his play of style to Jordan. So – um, you definitely have to respect Jordan um, even more so in the first two episodes. And I think I agree with John and Paul again with Reinsdorf. I, 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 I understand where you guys are saying with the six championships and he's brought them, but it's not hard to have, be an owner of, of the best player of all time and get six championships, in my opinion, to be completely honest. So I just don't know where the respect of Reinsdorf is coming from. In my opinion, he hasn't been like that to, 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 to bring not – to decide not to bring back a three-time, six-time winning championship team for a run at the seventh title, it's just absurd. I think it's the worst management decision in the history of the game. Like, you have the best player in the world of all time, and you don't bring him back. Like, that can't be respected on any levels, and I just don't think that he even deserves the credit. I think it deserves the team deserves the credit. You know, Phil, Michael, Tony, you know, Scotty, Kerr. You know, th those players deserve all the six, the credit for the six championships, you know, but not obviously not Kerr, but, you know, just coming with it, I just don't see, I don't, I don't, I personally don't have any respect for Ryan you know, from yeah. what I've seen with all of this and on top of guard packs, you know, it just ended. That was yeah. long overdue, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's a great point. <laughs> I can't, I, I have no argument for that. You, you're absolutely right. Well, it also goes to the fact that what these current players are seeing. I mean, Darius Miles made a point uh, during on, on Twitter, said that, you know, talking about Krause's statement about how organizations, not players, win championships. 
And then he made a comment basically saying that this organization had a one, hasn't won a championship since then. And Damian Lillard chimed in and said facts. So these current players are seeing that it is a, a black guy for the organization. You know, I, I hope as this documentary goes along that there's a brighter light. Um, but yeah. it's not a good look. And what's also not a good look is the fact that you also had John Paxson, who's been a player, been a coach, been part of his organization for over 25 years. He's been through executive versus player or executive versus coach, even as an executive himself and a player. So you have that dynamic as well. So it, so this organization has a lot to work on, even, you know, moving forward, even with the new VP of basketball operations, that, that they have a lot of work to, to kind of uh, get over the stigma that's been left since, since 97, 98. I just think ownership has been terrible. I think this, they lucked out on Jordan. You know, they got, we got six championships out of it because we lucked out on Jordan. And, you know, like, yeah, they dissembled a great team around him. But like you guys said, how hard is it to build a team around the greatest player of all time? Let's be real. Like, I think it's been bad ownership. Like, how, that's absurd to me. How do you not go after you win three in a row for the fourth one? I don't care about the age. I don't care about any of that. It just yeah. makes no sense. Absolute no sense. James, you, you, James, you make a very, I mean, you, you, you're absolutely right. I think the I think the only thing the only piece of context I guess I would add, and that's not to defend, you know, you're right. I I, I, I mean, I mean, it's not respect worthy anything that happened. Um, I think what I think in, in terms of me because I lived through. I mean, it's only now. I mean, you guys have have basically been able to see every major sports team win a championship. Well, it wasn't like that back then, <laughs> you know. Right. I mean, it just wasn't. Everybody sucked. In fact, there was a part in the documentary where Jerry Reinsdorf made reference to the Chicago Sting, the uh, soccer team, yeah. and that they were out, <laughs> yeah. out drawing the, 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 the Bulls. Well, my senior year in high school, 1983, the Sting won the championship, and that was the first championship that I had ever seen, and I was 17 <laughs> years old. So so when when the Bulls came along, well, well, then, of course, well, you know, thank goodness, the, you know, the, but then right after yeah. that, the Sox went to playoffs, lost in the ALCS. Uh, Cubs was, lost the following year to the, to the Padres. Is that, a, is, is that a baseball team? Oh, okay. yeah. wow. Wow. Yeah, that's, <laughs> wow. That's a different conversation to be had over there. Right, right, right. Yeah, but, but you're right. They did, they, did, they did lose to San Diego that, that, that second <laughs> wow. year. But then right after that, the Bears, you know, just were so dominant. And that was, like, incredible. I mean, we, we, never, we never saw that coming. Right. And yeah. so between the Bears and then Jordan winning, we didn't have anything. So when Reinsdorf puts the, in the context of having no winners for years and then all of a sudden six championships and a World Series title, that's, I think, why I'm trying to hold on to some respect. But, you know, James, your point is going to make is going to help that erode very quickly. <laughs> I know. I, I will say too, I felt a little bit better about Pippen. I, I, you know, I always felt there was a pretty big chasm between Jordan and Pippen, just in the fact that I thought Jordan was a closer, and Pippen really didn't have that gene. He was one of the greatest perimeter defenders of all time. But on the offensive end, I, I wasn't always confident Scotty would come through. In fact, I think Phil agreed, and that's why he had Tony yep. taking the last shot with one point eight left. That said, yep. two things stuck with me. Number one, he had two people in his home with who were disabled. Which, in you know, knowing I had a, a disabled grandmother, knowing how hard that was on the family, 
I can't even imagine having two people in the house. Number one, I mean yeah. the the pain he went through and the and extreme po- poverty. I really gained a renewed amount of, uh, of uh, respect for him. But number two, every teammate unequivocally from Tony Kukoc, Steve Kerr, Michael Jordan, Bill Wennington. You ask any teammate, they loved Scottie Pippen. Absolutely loved him. I think that says a lot. You know, two things that really stuck with me is that everybody, all the great people who talked about how great Jordan was, you know, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, etc. But the teammates really loved Scotty. And uh, that's something that it will stick with me. And the guy that I got to say who came out worse is Dr. Jack Ramsey in the Portland Trail Blazers. How incredibly dumb <laughs> can you be to pass up on Michael Jordan? And the thing was, they showed Bobby Knight. I love that clip they showed Bobby Knight. He's the best you know, basketball player I've ever seen. But he goes, uh, he said something to the, to the, to the effect. Uh, I read an article where they were actually doing training camp for the Olympic team dirt before the draft. And he called right. his buddy with Portland and said, listen, you got to draft this guy. He's the you know, best basketball player I've ever seen. And Portland said, no, we already got Clyde. We're going to take the center. And he's like, we need a center. And he's like, we'll, we'll, we'll draft him and play him at center. <laughs> you know, that's I, I heard that story. <laughs> I know. And it's like, that, so how dumb. I mean, think about how, th- how things would be different for us in, in Chicago um, if, if we were to take, if we didn't have that opportunity to take Michael Jordan. Oh, uh, my goodness. If we ended up with Sam Bowie. Thank goodness for Portland. <laughs> exactly. It's Got- even more to what I was saying. You know, you guys, it was more not the ownership. It was more about hitting the lottery there, you know, with yeah. Jordan. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Guys, yeah. I-, I can't thank you enough for jumping on the, 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 the uh, Knights of the Round Ball table, Chicago Bullseye special round ball table, uh, discussing the last dance. We're going to have a rotating group for, I think, every week, but we're going to bring everybody back after the finale. And uh, I want to have you guys on again to talk about what you think. But this has been really an honor to have you three guys on the first one. I really can't thank you enough for jumping on. Appreciate you having us. Yes, thanks for having us on. Appreciate it. Always good to be on with a legend. Oh, thanks. (laughs) You're a legend, man. I tell you, did you hear your younger brother was on the show again? In case you guys didn't know. Yes, I did. John Watson is the older brother of Bulls outsider Big Dave Watson. So we we have a... Yes, yes. Okay. And I I met him, and I mean, I was blown away. Was was quick to see how... You know how smart Big Dave is when it comes to basketball. Well, John is obviously, well, he got a lot of that from his older brother. So, I mean, John, it was very impressive talking to you. So, I always love to have you on. But what happened to the Paul? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. I was hoping you weren't <laughs> going to bring that up. <laughs> we got a bad connection here. Hello. hello. I saw, oh, my goodness. It's I saw, a train wreck, Fred. It's a train wreck. I saw Reed is in the top, uh, could be picked in the first or second round, though. Do you agree with that? Uh, he should go at least second round. Yeah, I mean he's six nine and he can do everything. He just needs some weight and some and uh, and a little bit more uh, experience. So yeah, I see him going second round, especially you know considering uh, what's out there. Would sure. you like to see him on the beloved? Oh, absolutely. Well, who's going to be the coach? Well, it, anybody but Boylan is my mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the gym please teacher. Get him out of here. Please, yeah, please. yeah. He's, he's, he's masquerading as a coach. I mean, he's a gym teacher. That's, you know, he's, he's got a whistle around his neck. You know, everybody line up on the baseline. <laughs> Climb but, up uh, that rope. Know, Climb up. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind seeing Reed here, depending on who the coach is, because I think because he improved by leaps and bounds while he was at DePaul. I mean, yeah. every year he got he was decidedly better because he's such a hard worker. He's a smart young man, and he really, really, really wants to win. And he's very, you know, he's got decent perimeter skills. He's got to improve his ball handling a little bit at, at the next level. 
Um, and he's got to get that pull-up jumper. You know, he doesn't have that Kevin Durant pull-up jumper yet. Yep. But uh, everything else, I mean, defensively, effort, um, around the basket, I mean, he's, he's, he's definitely an NBA player. And I'm, I'm really happy to see that. I, I hate to see him leave, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy for 